Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there and welcome to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast and to our monthly Forest Ramble where we discuss the last few weeks at the City Ground. I'm your host, Rich Ferraro, and in today's pod we will discuss the on-pitch progress made by the Reds. How much of a boost has Steve Cooper's new contracts given to the players, the fans and the club more widely? Are the new signings finally bedding in? And can Morgan Gibbs-White, Jesse Lingard and Brennan Johnson really play in the same team together? We'll also have our regular sketch from Jeremy Davis, we'll hear from you, the fans, and we'll have a game of Guess That Red. All in this episode of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. But first, let's say hello to today's panel, and I'm going to ask you each for your highlights from the last few weeks. So just in the order that you're on my screen, hello Baz. Hello. Um, my highlight, um, probably uh, when I did the match report after Brentford and I went, you could be a pessimist or an optimist. And then I came away from after recording it going, I'm an optimist. <laughs> Beautiful. OK, that's a nice way, a nice positive way to start. Let's say hello to Stephen. Hello. My highlight is the equalising goal against Brentford. And not just for the goal, but also where I was when the goal went in, because I committed the cardinal sin of leaving early, got to 95 minutes. I left the ground thinking I'll I'll beat the rush and got to underneath the trend end when we heard the roar come up from the ground that Forrest had scored or thought we'd scored, at which point I ran for the TV in the pitch diner, the reception at the bottom. So me and about... (laughs) 30 other people were watching the goal and the VAR check on the TV in reception of the pitch diner crowded around this door. And uh, when it was finally given, we were all jumping around and running and celebrating. And that was fun. But I wish I'd stayed in the ground and seen it in person. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, I I didn't see it. (laughs) 
Oh no, yes, you just remind remind our listeners, Baz, why you didn't. Yeah, uh, because um, because when the first shot uh, were uh, got got missed and deflected, I put my head in my hands, and then suddenly everyone else leapt up around me, and I was like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, now, Adam, um, hello to you, and I'm sure that you can relate to Stephen's tale there. Oh yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, I was I was further away than Stephen was. In fairness, um, I was well over Trembridge by that point. Um, to be honest, I was just really angry about the whole a lot of the VAR decisions and a lot of things that happened on the day. More than I was more frustrated at that rather than the team. But um, look, as a highlight for me. Um, I took my cousin to Forest. He loves to go. He doesn't get to go often. Um, he thinks he's a Man City fan, but I'm convinced of it, that he is a Forest fan. Um, and I took him to the Palace game. And the moment when the VAR was like, yeah, goal for Forest, that was a pretty pretty good moment and a pretty important win. And you converted him, yeah? Well, yeah, because Man City also lost that day. So, it, it, do you know what I mean? It was, it was an easier conversation. Excellent, excellent. All right. And for listeners of a certain vintage, and I don't want to make myself into the old codger in the room here, but I remember um, almost leaving with my dad um, as a, what, an 11-year-old? Um, but we stayed until the end and we saw Des Walker score his only ever goal. So since then, I've never left early. Never, never, never. Um, before we talk about the last month's action, let's head over to the 1865 News Desk, and we can hear from Callum. Hi, this is Callum with the 1865 News. Um, it's been a bit of a, a busy week, uh, a busy last few weeks in terms of fixtures and results and everything like that. Um, but some bits that are coming up is that Forest are heading to Greece for a winter training camp next month during the World Cup and will face Atromitos behind closed doors and sister club Olympiakos. Um, we've had Jesse Lingard and Renan Lodi up for Player of the Round and Goal of the Round, respectively, in the Carabao Cup. So get voting for that if you can. I think there's still time left. Um, a signing that's coming in January, Gustavo Scarpa. He's been awarded with the ESPN Brazil's Golden Ball as the best player in the Brazilian league this season, which is really exciting. I think a lot of people are really excited for him to come to Forest in January. Um, and obviously, he likes his skateboarding. Um, and then probably the most important bit is uh, Jesse Lingard's untold story has been launched today on all four um, as he bra bravely shares his story on mental health with the world. Um, so it would be great for everyone to, to watch that. Um, really brave from Jesse. Um, and yeah, we're really proud of him. So uh, thank you very much. And I'll be back again with the news soon. Take care. Thank you very much, Callum. Um, we don't have time today to talk about uh, Gustavo Scarpa or to talk about Jesse Lingard's uh, documentary, but I'm sure we will talk about those in the future. In the meantime, let's discuss the football. Um, last Saturday's win over Crystal Palace with that VAR goal from Morgan Gibbs-White saw Forrest gain four points out of a possible six from the uh, last two home games. And crucially, it's taken Forrest off the bottom of the table and moved them into 18th place as we go into the World Cup break. Here's what Steve Cooper had to say after the game. It's been a really, really tough couple of months. We've had to do something that no team 
co-manager or coaching staff has ever had to do before with the amount of players that have come in and um, never once have we questioned the players' attitude or commitment, desire to learn, engage, even when we've had some really tough moments. You know, if you actually look at it, every time we've had a really tough moment, we responded with a performance um, or a result. So um, that's reassuring. We know we've got a lot of work to do. Whatever happened today, the league position wasn't going to look great. Um, but uh, but at least you know we're making positive steps. At least we're picking up points since the Leicester game. We've done all right. Okay, so uh, fighting talk there from the gaffer. Um, I'm just going to question one thing that Steve Cooper said here. Um, he said that you know we've responded well after after bad matches. Um, we certainly didn't after the Man City mauling, uh, as proven by those home defeats to Bournemouth and Fulham, which both felt particularly damaging. Um, I'm very firmly of the opinion that it's going to be home points gained at home that will give Forrest the best chance of, of, of staying up this season. So, Baz, how important was it that we kind of put in a decent performance and got that result against Brentford after the absolute battering that we took at Arsenal? Um, I think, well, it was, I think for me, and I think I said this in the report, what I really liked about Brentford more than more than the result was the fact that we battled into injury time and scored in injury time, which was the story of last season. It was that we're, we're not beaten, we're not going to give up, we're going to keep going until we get what we need out of this. Um, and yeah, obviously we 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 achieved amazing things last season. So if we can have that same attitude with a new group of players, if that same attitude's coming through and that same fight's coming through, then yeah, we'll do good we'll do good things again. Okay, um, um, I was going to come to the rest of the panel, but before I do, I just want to play this clip. So for those of you listeners who missed it, this is what our friend Billy the Bee from the Besotted Brentford podcast had to say after the game. My boss friends were not happy at all with what had happened because they felt that they should have won that game. But I'm saying to you, we've been in this season for a couple of seasons and you just need to t- just pick up points. This season, we would have we would have scored, we would have lost this last season. 100% we would have lost this last season. And we got a draw today. And the reason why is that we've learned how to manage games. So, Stephen, coming to you. Um, our group chat was not a happy place on the day of the Brentford match because um, having um, put in a good a good first half performance and then conceding that dodgy penalty, um, it, you know the talk in the group chat was actually we're down the heads are gone down Forest are are struggling. Um, so would you agree with what Billy said there in terms of actually it's about finding ways to get results? It's literally just about picking up the points this season um, if Forrest don't have a chance of staying up. Absolutely. All we need to do is get enough points to stay in this league. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the bare minimum. And that would make for a good season and a great achievement. Stay in the league and then establish after that. We can worry about controlling games more we can worry about you know having more of the ball once we're a bit more of an established premier league side but i think in our position we've just got to get the points where we can find them and brentford was a good example where we had we did shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit because the performance at times wasn't great with the goals we conceded and then you throw var into the mix we were on the wrong side of some decisions there but we kept going we fought and we didn't give up. You can point to Brentford sitting back, but we still had to find a way of getting through them and getting a goal, which is exactly what we did. And 
that spirit and that determination bodes well for the rest of the season. We're going to need bucket loads of that to stay in this league. Mm, yeah. Um, Adam, you were at the Brentford match, but it was Baz and Stephen who did the match report. So I just want to um, hear from you. Stephen mentioned VAR. I don't want this to turn into a conversation about officialdom, but um, do you think the VAR injustices and also the way that they were talked about on match of the day, which I thought was pretty, pretty terrible, to be honest. Um, but do you think those VAR injustices have been a motivation as suggested by Morgan Gibbs White in his, uh, I don't think he's been charged, but he definitely said that we were cheated out of it. So, um, did he have a point? Yeah, it's completely spot on. I think it, I don't think he should be charged because I think ultimately you can't. If you take the freedom from the players to actually say what they think out of the game, it, it's frustrating, right? I find it really frustrating when you can't even say what, what you believe had happened, right? And obviously, we had the John Percy article come out the day after, or a couple of days after the, the game, uh, where it basically put that it, it had been looked at and decided that the wrong decisions were made on the day. Right, that's how that happens. That's football, and a lot of people blame VAR and stuff. And to be fair, I'm completely on the side that VAR isn't working in its current format. However, referees also make mistakes, and without VAR, you know, it doesn't mean any of the penalties would have been given. It might be one of them gets to it. Problem is that referees feel they don't have to make the decision themselves. It's better for them to not give it and let VAR give it. Do you know what I mean? Rather than give it and make a mistake and VAR not think it's enough to overrule them. So I think that there's maybe a little, a little bit of a loophole there for referees. But look, I mean, on the game itself, I think it's... we. I think we did enough to win. I think I do agree with Paul. On the day, we probably had enough chances. I think we're a little bit unlucky with the decisions. But it's a, it was a good point in the end, given all circumstances. Um, and I do think it's fired them up. And I do think going into the Palace game, there was a lot more of a... Well, I suppose the Spurs and the Palace games is a lot more of a right. Well, that was frustrating, but we're not going to let it get to us. So that was nice to see. And and Adam, just uh, very quickly, did you love VAR after the Palace match? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, but that's that's the point, isn't it? I suppose it comes, it it, comes, it goes for you, it doesn't go for you. You know, when we were in the ground, obviously I said lower trainers a lot. You know, and I was right behind it, and I went, yeah, he's offside. You know, that's mm-hmm. my first. Thing. First reaction was, yes, he's offside. If you watch it back and it's still marginal even when you watch it back. So, yeah, benefit is there, obviously. Yeah, and, and also, Adam, uh, married on the Midlands and I had a good old discussion in the match report after Palace about the uh, penalty that was given against Forrest. Um, if it was right in front of you, what did you think about the penalty award? Yeah, it was definitely a penalty. I, I, I don't... I don't I, I, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, he went down really easy. You can't do that, though. As soon as you put your hands across the player like that, you're asking for the referee to make the decision. Yeah. It's naive. Enough. It's just naive for me more than anything. He makes a lot of it, but it's Wilfred Zaha. He makes a lot of it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as we discussed at the time, um, you know, Maradon the Midlands said, your hand around your midriff doesn't make your legs go. But on the other hand, if you don't go down, then you're never going to get any decisions. Um, Baz, just last thing on VAR, um, what Adam said there was that... It gives the refs a chance to kind of let the game flow, which was one of the intentions. But on the other hand, it abdicates them from making choices. So the Ryan Yates incident in the Brentford match, the ref let it go because he went waited to see if VAR would give something. And when VAR didn't give something, the ref couldn't bring it back. 
because it's, it can only bring it back for a red card or a penalty. So um, that's frustrating, isn't it? The, the thing that gets me about it is, yeah, we know refs make mistakes. We, I think probably last season was probably the most we've ever complained about refs making mistakes. We try and avoid it, but we did do it a lot last season. Everyone expects refs to make mistakes because they're only human. The thing with VAR is you're still getting the mistakes, but now the play's broken up and you don't know if you're allowed to cheer when we score or you don't know if you're allowed to boo when someone gets knocked over or something like that. So it's breaking up the game and ruining it in that way for no benefit. So I I don't like it. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, just um, let's change the subject. We 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 always say we don't want to spend all of our time talking about refs and officials. So let's let's move away from that. Um, but in our last big discussion, Stephen, we were talking about Steve Cooper, and he decided to not to do his fist pumps after the Liverpool match because it was just a win, and ultimately we were still at the bottom of the table at the end of that game weekend. Um, so what did you make of his decision to celebrate? You know, do his celebration in front of the fans after the Palace game. I think it shows how important those three points were. And going into the World Cup break, to to take those three points and lift ourselves off the bottom of the table is a good place to be going into the into the interval, if you like. We're in touch with the with the uh, safety zone in the Premier League, and I think Cooper was acknowledging that with the fans and. It's it is. It's almost like the end of a season. This it's almost the end of a mini season, and then we've got another mini season to come once the World Cup finishes. So I think it was a a way of celebrating the victory and an, an important three points, but also a little way of Steve Cooper just acknowledging the fans before we head into the World Cup because we're not. He's not going to see them for six weeks or whatever it is. Mm, and and it must make you feel good that both Cooper and the players are constantly reminding us about what a big role we have to play um, in terms of supporting them, especially in those home matches. Absolutely. it's it That is going to be our big advantage this season. And I think we will win a lot of our points at home because we create such an atmosphere and the backing that the team and the manager gets is is superb and it has been for a lot for a while now certainly since cooper came into the club and i wasn't able to go to the game the the palace match so i was watching on tv and the atmosphere came through a- across that watching it on the tv so i can only imagine how good it was in the stadium and it is that's such a big asset for us that we we really need to make the most of that and and get our points off the back of it and, and Jim Daly from the Palace um, Five Year Plan podcast did make the point. He was saying that we were some of the best, we're one of the best home atmospheres that he's come across in all the away matches he's been to in the Premier League. So we need to keep keep being that that twelfth man, don't we? And um, Adam, a few weeks ago, you and Baz have both commented um, in the last few weeks that all other things being equal, we might not get out of the relegation zone, but as long as we're not cut adrift when the World Cup break comes along, that's probably most important. Um, now, there is an argument that Forrest's chances of survival are a bit better than they might have been in other seasons, mainly because the division's a bit tighter. And 
my example here is that Leicester are obviously on this blistering run of form since we kickstarted their season, but they're still very much within within reach of Forest. I think they're only three points ahead of Forest um, in the league. So, or four points, my apologies. But I think it's it's a really important point, isn't it? We are not only not bottom, but we are very much in the mix. Yeah, and it's it's one of those. I, I, of course, you know, I said on this pod before that I, I didn't want to be in the bottom three when the World Cup rolls around, right? But I've got, I've got, I'm looking at it now, just you know, thinking about a few things. So for me, obviously, Wolves are bottom of the league going into the World Cup. They brought in a very good manager. You, you're going to expect that they're going to have a bit of an upturn in form. Southampton, call me con- controversial opinion, whatever it might be. Nathan Jones is not a Premier League manager. And I'm not having that that's a good appointment at all. Um, he, he had, obviously, I've got a few friends that have some fans, funny enough, and he had that big chance at Stoke. And I, I think he, he showed there that maybe a, a bigger job than Luton may not be something that he, he's comfortable with for his skill set. So I'm not particularly worried about that appointment. And then you've got, just above us, you've got Everton, who, you know, probably had... A bit of form in like towards the start of the season, you know, last few games to maybe make you think, you know what, well, actually they're better than people thought they'd be this season. And then, you know, the last five games they've won one, and it's like, well, Frank Lampard again. There's questions certainly whether he'll get the sack over this break. If he doesn't, I think that might give us a better chance. And then all the way, I mean, I said you see this, and you look at the table, and you you can go all the way up to tenth, sorry, ninth in the table, and there's six points between ninth and eighteenth. I mean, that's just insane. Like, you, as much as you look at Forest, and a lot of people look at us and say, well, Forest would have to go down, and it's two of us. You, you just can't do that. There's just so many teams down there, and it's who battles more, it's who wants it more. And, you know, I don't, I, I completely think that in January, we are going to add more players to the ever growing list. I'm sure Match of the Day will have a field day when we sign more players, because they love mentioning that we've signed 22 players. So I'm sure there'll be more sort of mentions there. And we've got, obviously got Gustavo Scarpa to come in and, you know, he's very highly rated. So, look, I mean, we've got every chance of staying up. Ideally, yeah, I'd want to be out of the bottom three by the World Cup, but the uptick in form is something positive about itself. Mm. And you've talked a lot about um, potential managerial changes. Um, so, Bournemouth, um, there's a lot of talk about Bielsa going to Bournemouth, which is insane. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, well, Jesse Marsh is constantly walking a tightrope as a Leeds manager. Um, and then there's even a little bit of talk about David Moyes because West Ham have gone into free fall as well. So, so Baz, is it going to be the case of the fact it's a tight division gives Forrest our best chance? Because it might well be that there are three or more teams who are worse than Forrest rather than it being the other way around. Uh, yeah, but um, I kind of don't want to think of it that way. It's it's more it's more that it's taken time for us to find our feet, but there are signs that we are finding our feet. We're starting to play as a team. We're starting to have some togetherness. We're starting to have some understanding, and that probably more than what other teams are doing is what we should be concentrating on. And the fact that we're, we are building something and that we're getting somewhere. Now I hope that the, the world cup doesn't put a spanner in the works and ruin any momentum that we might be getting. But I, I, we've, I think all of us have noticed the fact that there's, there's little partnerships growing across the side. There's that togetherness, there's that fight to, to how we do stuff. And I think that's the key thing more than what happens with other clubs. 
Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's an, that's interesting. And, and on that theme, Stephen, um, if teams change their manager, then it usually takes new managers a little while just to to get to get things moving. Um, so, I'm going to move on from that, but on a similar theme. One thing that's noticeable about the Leicester and the Arsenal matches, which are the two recent hammerings that Forrest have had is that Steve Cooper did make thinly veiled comments that we lost and played badly because the players weren't doing what was asked of them. So he stopped short of openly criticising his team, but he did basically say we didn't follow the game plan. So do you think that, firstly, that's going to be the key to Forrest doing all right and the fact that Forrest can still gain a bit of momentum and build up these partnerships? And then secondly, just to move away from the city ground, do you reckon that's what did for Ralph Hasenhutl at Southampton, who is a really good coach, but the players weren't doing what he asked of them? When you when you look back at some of the victories we've had this season, uh, the most recent the most recent impressive victory was the cup game against Spurs, where the players stuck to the game plan and delivered a really good performance against a strong Spurs team and got the victory. I think that's vindication for Cooper's methods and the game plan that he wants us to set out. I think what happens is, in a game against Arsenal, we, at 1-0 down, were, were well in there still. Okay, we were probably second best, but we weren't out of touch. And the second goal goes in, and it just led to a collapse. And that was a similar theme to what happened at Leicester, happened at Man City as well. I think I think we're a bit guilty sometimes of letting our heads go in games, and we've got better at addressing that, but it might still be an issue in, in, in games now and again that, you know, we, we, could, we can see the goal and we can collapse quite easily. We can go 2-0 down. Before you know it, it's 3, it's 4. Hopefully that's something that's going to get ironed out. And I think that's a mentality thing among the players as much as anything, because looking at the the group and how they've performed for Cooper on the whole, I don't see any signs that they, they're losing belief in Cooper or not agreeing with how he wants to do things. I think there's just a mentality issue there that, that the Premier League can be so unforgiving that you know, the quick goals go in and, and we're sort of struggling at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think from the Southampton point of view, they they had a, I think they've got a similar mentality issue as well. There's been a few times under Hasenhutl where they've had some right thrashings off teams. And, but then they'll come back and they'll produce a really good result the following week and beat somebody like Liverpool or, Spurs or someone like that and and deliver a very good performance. So we're we're in that funny funny position where I think the players are still getting to know one another, still trying to build those partnerships and and still trying to establish themselves in a lot of ways. I'm just hoping that the more that they work with Cooper, the more they believe in what he's trying to do and that will hopefully solve those that bit of a mental issue that we have. Okay. Um Baz, you did talk, um, well, 
it was in is in a group chat actually and you mentioned it in your brentford match report with stephen uh one of the key things that thing about heads dropping that's what really got you despairing is that after forest conceded that penalty however justified or not that was that they absolutely fell to pieces for a little while um but then you gained that optimism because all of a sudden you're like, hang on, but they did keep going until almost the last kick of the match. So is what Stephen said, does that resonate with you? Um, I think so, yeah. I think that the players... I saw an interview with Steve Cooper. I don't, can't remember where I saw it. It was a few weeks ago now. And he was saying he'd been talking to some of the senior foreign players who'd come into the club. And that he he said they, they were all shocked at the... I can't remember the exact word. It was either the standard or the level or something like that of the Premier League. And I think that that heads going down is like, it it might well be that, oh my God, it's happening again. And then they have to pick themselves up and do it again. And which maybe you don't have to do in, in Italy. I'm presuming he was talking about Remo Freuler. Um, which maybe it's just, it's a different, way of approaching the game over there and so that relentlessness and that you have to just get pick yourself up and get, get back on it is probably something that they're having to learn and, and get their heads around and I think Bournemouth showed that yeah that that's that's coming um, which is why I was optimistic about it um, and I think if we can stand it out, then we're, we're going to do well. I presume you mean Brentford rather than Bournemouth, because Bournemouth, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Not, <laughs> Bournemouth is an entirely different story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Now, we'll leave it there for um, for a little while. Um, in a few minutes, we'll continue the discussion about Steve Cooper and the players, and we'll have a game of Guess That Red. But first of all, I think you'll find that it is time for this. The 1865 sketch by Jeremy Davis. If religion is the opium of the people, as Karl Marx said, then the opium of the football supporter could well be that infuriating phenomenon, inconsistency. Inconsistent players drive us to distraction, and yet we love them precisely because we never know quite what we're going to get, and that frisson of uncertainty is precisely what gives the sport its magic. That's why the level of excitement when Brian Roy got the ball even though it was more than likely he'd be knocked off it because a butterfly flapped its wings in Derby, was greater than that which greeted Steve Stone's every touch. You only have to look at the disdain with which the most consistently successful teams are held, or the fact that paragons of consistency like Gareth Barry and James Milner are widely regarded as admirable but functional and a bit boring. It's why Gary, nobody dreams of being the new Gary Neville, Neville, is much more popular since he finished his frighteningly consistent playing career and added a bit of much-needed inconsistency to his position as a pundit, the position in question being his stance on human rights and the Qatar World Cup. New signings are to inconsistency what David Beckham is to right-wingers, both in football and, right now, in political terms as well. So, with 22 new arrivals, the team was always likely to be dogged by inconsistency in the early part of the season, Sure enough, many of the new signings from Lingard to Lodi have shown flashes at Forest without pulling up any trees. But there's one new addition that didn't feature in our matches last season which has achieved a level of inconsistency that might have worshippers of inconsistent icons like Hoddle and Latiz gazing misty-eyed into the middle distance and makes the likes of Lewis McGugan or João Carvalho look like Gareth Barry. 
one thing that's made the difference in recent weeks between winning games and dropping points and might just make the difference between staying up and going down. I'm talking, of course, about VAR. As was pointed out in the podcast recently, VAR was meant to end controversy over referees' decisions by taking the subjectivity out of it. When it comes to offside, thankfully for us and for Morgan Gibbs-White, it has largely worked. You don't hear so much this season, thankfully, about players' armpits being in an offside position, but maybe they've just all been waxing. Good news for the male grooming industry, and in these tough economic times, anything that supports such a vibrant sector of the economy has to be applauded. But when the video assistant ref gets involved in the adjudication of incidents such as tackles, it just layers another level of subjectivity on top of an already nuanced judgment call. As with Brentford's penalty at the city ground the other week, on that occasion, the burning sense of injustice shared by players and fans may well have been crucial in ensuring that we kept on going till the 96th minute and generated enough energy and momentum to power the likes of Lingard to his breakthrough performance in Garibaldi Red against Tottenham. So maybe VAR's inconsistency did us a favour. It just goes to underline the love-hate relationship football fans have with inconsistency. Consistency creates expectation. Inconsistency begets hope. And as every Forest fan knows, it's the hope that might not kill you, but can really hurt. As the Roman poet Catullus put it, in a poem that almost certainly wasn't about watching Brentford at the city ground, Odi et Amo. I hate and love. You ask perhaps how this can be. I know not, but I feel it. And tis agony. Sorry to go back to the Latin thing after my piece on club mottos only a couple of months back, but at least you can say I'm being consistent. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest Podcast. I think when we sort of line up and... You know, we sort of shake hands and stuff that, you know, when we look up and there's like about a minute, isn't there? Like a pause just before the game. I think, yeah, this is this is special. So welcome back to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. And thank you to Jeremy for the sketch. And there's a quick snippet there of Ryan Yates talking about how he loves playing for Forest in the Premier League and the difference that the fans can make. Now, just before we get going with our discussion once again, uh, just... A quick thought. Now, like Forrest, our woolly neighbours down the A52 started the uh, season with no shirt sponsor. But now they have given over that space to the NSPCC for the rest of the campaign. So, uh, panel, would you like to see Forrest do something similar? And if so, with whom? And I'm going to start with you, Adam. Any ideas? Uh, blokes. Uh, it's right. Um Obviously, Ryan is an ambassador. It's a charity that I raise money for, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but um, men's mental health charity, um, I think, fantastic sponsor for Forrest. And and that seems particularly apposite, not just because EHC is, is an ambassador, but also with Jesse Lingard's um, programme coming out on uh, on all four today, yeah. 
Um, what about you, Stephen? Something local, um, perhaps Nottingham Hospitals Charity. The Without turning things too political, we know the state that the NHS is in at the moment and the lack of funding or support that's going on there. So I think something that supports our hospitals in the local area, I think, would be would be a nice touch and a show of appreciation as well for the hard work that they do. Mm-hmm. And Baz, any thoughts? Um, well, I don't live in Nottingham anymore, and I do agree it should be something, if, if possible, it should be something relatively local. But what I would like to add is I actually managed to get hold of a home shirt without a sponsor on, so I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> <laughs> but would you be okay with it if it was? I mean, my suggestions, and great suggestions from Adam and Stephen, my suggestions are there's there's local charities like Framework who um, support people with housing and welfare, Um and Forest have them, have done a lot of work with them. There's also Hope, who's organised the food bank collections and, and recently uh, took food bank donations at the city ground. And, you know, so when we've got local charities like that who the club already have a connection with, if their logo was on the shirt, would that put you off, Baz? No, not at all. <laughs> I'd be I'd be equally happy with that. I mean, it's obviously it's nice to have one without the sponsor on, but if the sponsor was not a commercial sponsor, then that's also very good. I'm assuming we're not doing that because Mr. Maranakis is convinced something's just around the corner. Well, okay. Um, and and as as I usually put a disclaimer in when Baz is on the podcast, um, you know, I would like to just point out to the Maranakis family that everything is fine. Um I'm also just going to have a quick mention for uh, my friend Matt, who um, runs a company called Radiant Cleaners. So there's loads of social enterprises like Radiant Cleaners who uh, who are out there as well, and I'm sure they would benefit. So so if we're going to make a plea to the club hierarchy, blank shirts, they're great. But if you do want to give over that space to a good cause, then I think we, as a podcast, but also many, many fans, would be quite supportive of that. Let's return to on-pitch matters um, and turn to the opinions of our listeners. So what we did was to put out a poll on that there Twitter. And the first question we put out there was, Steve Cooper is the best manager since Billy Davis, Paul Hart, Frank Clark or Brian Clough? Now, those of you who are regular regular listeners will notice that we put out that question last season. Um, I think it was probably... Um, in sort of springtime, I think. And um, Frank Clark came out as the winner then, if I remember rightly. And Frank Clark has come out with 50.8% of the votes in this instance. Brian Clough, 32.3%. Paul Hart, 10.1%. And Billy Davis, 6.9%. Now, I'm going to start here. I just want to throw it out there. I wasn't going to answer this beforehand, and I certainly didn't last time. But I'm going to say it now. Steve Cooper is the best Forest gaffer since Brian Clough. Stephen, discuss. I agree with you on the basis of where he found Forest when he came into the club, Steve Cooper. Frank Clark, who did a brilliant job, I thought, as Forest manager, and he would be my choice for this poll. He did find Forest in a, a reasonably healthy position. They had been relegated, but with a strong team full of top flight players, whereas Steve Cooper found us in the wilderness a bit. We were struggling in the bottom end of the championship, hadn't done anything of note for two decades. And 
took us back to the big time. And on that basis, I think he would you would say he's the best since Clough. Okay. Adam, um, you weren't even born when Frank Clark was in charge. You have seen, well, you were still more or less an infant when Paul Hart was in charge. You've lived through two spells of Billy Davis. Um, what do you think? I think Philip Montana is getting a, a bad rap here, to be honest. I think he is the greatest manager that's ever been. Um, but no, honestly, on a serious note, obviously I'm old, I'm old to really answer the question in a way, but looking on pure kind of facts and figures, I mean, Frank Clark got us to third in the Premier League, so I suppose best manager since Frank Clark. However, Steve Cooper's job to get, his, to get a team that's not been in the Premier League for 23 years back was an insurmountable task that most managers would not have pulled off. So Steve Cooper for me is the best. He's the best manager of my generation. Maybe he's better than Frank Clark. Maybe not. I don't know enough facts. But with Paul Hart, Cooper got us promoted. And that, that should probably be enough of a point on him, I suppose. But mm. there we go. Um, <laughs> Baz, we're the ones who are old enough to have seen all of these managers in action. Um I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm also gonna throw in a bit of a bit of heart as well as head. I found myself being surprised um, with all the ups and downs since we've got promoted. I found myself being surprised at exactly how much I absolutely love Steve Cooper. A really pure love that I've never... I've, I felt a bit for Paul Hart. I, I thought I started to feel for Sean O'Driscoll before he was cruelly dispatched. Um, I, I did like Frank Clark, but Brian Clough has this kind of mythical hold on us. And I think Steve Cooper's getting close to that, don't you? I, I was just going to say, actually, I was going to ignore all the facts and figures and go purely on the emotion thing. I think Steve Cooper has a better connection with the club and with the fans than possibly any of those managers. Because with with Billy Davis, he was Billy Davis. Paul Hart had the history with the club, but he went off in a mard. Um Frank Clark, again, has massive, massive history with the club. But I don't know, I, I didn't feel that emotional connection with him. And uh, Mr Clough, ultimately, a big part of him coming to us in the first place, his achievements were incredible and we loved him, but part of him coming to us was despite Derby. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'm, I'm not even going to enter into further debate on, along those lines. OK, I'm going to move on to the next question, which was, what's been your favourite Forest goal this season? And I, I nominated... Um, a one-year versus West Ham for our first win of the season. A one-year versus Liverpool for, you know, the winning goal in, in that kind of great occasion. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White versus Brentford. And Renan Loddy versus Spurs, which got 47.9% of the vote. In second place was a one-year versus Liverpool with 38. Um, Morgan got 14%. And Taiwo's first goal against West Ham has been forgotten in the midst of time, which is a shame because you've got to love it when it just bobbles off someone's knee. Um, Baz, what do you think out of those nominees? Um, personally, I would go for a one-year versus Liverpool because... It just made me so happy to see Jurgen Klopp ranting about it afterwards. <laughs> Once again, let's not continue along those lines. Let's go straight to Stephen. Gibbs White against Brentford. A classy goal from a player who's really starting to look like the real deal. And he's been so important to how we play in the last couple of months. And hopefully we can see more of that from him because that was a great goal. Mm. And, and just in... In a few words, 
Um, the down payment was supposed to be £25 million, with the potential of it raising up to £40-plus million. He's starting to look like a player worth that amount of money, isn't he? Definitely. And if he, if he carries on like this and the time comes for a club higher up the chain to come and buy him, I don't see why we couldn't double our money on him at the very least and get to £50 million because he, he's got the potential and he's got the ceiling to go very far. Woof. Uh, what do you think, Adam? I think he'd be worth 100 when he wins his Ballon d'Or. So I suppose <laughs> it's... Um, but no, I mean, based on the vote, I think probably Ryan Lodge is against Spurs, but I actually personally prefer Lingard's against Spurs because I was so, so happy that he got his first goal for Forrest. Um, yeah, you needed, to, you needed to come up with a designated Bovril holder for the evening. That's how excited it was. So excited, mate, honestly. It was yeah. a, what a night. Okay, so continuing on that theme and staying with you, Adam, can Morgan Gibbs-White and Jesse Lingard play in the same team? And I've put this in because both you and Maradon the Midlands have talked about this in our match reports recently. (sighs) It's it's so tough, isn't it? Because every fibre of my being wants to say no, because it's kind of like, I, I think that they both want to operate in the same areas. However... I think there's a way in which it works. And the way in which it works is both of them playing as floating tens behind the striker rather than playing as wingers. So I'm, I'm going to go, yes, it can work. Okay. Baz, can Raddy Majewski and Lewis McGugan play in the same team? <laughs> Lewis McGugan can't play in the same team as anyone. <laughs> Master of controversy, Baz, this evening. <laughs> what I will say is um, anyone who plays football manager, if you don't already know this, there is a cheat. And it's really, really simple. What you do is you set your formation up asymmetrically. So in our case, what you would do is probably play, um, say, maybe Gibbs White up front, Lingard behind, and then Brennan Johnson on the right wing. So you've got like a a lopsided three. And if you do that, you're going to win the Premier League. Well, let's let's try it out then. (laughs) Stephen, can Morgan Gibbs White and Jesse Lingard play in the same team? Yes, they can. I think they've got the ability and the intelligence to work together and be effective. And the last couple of games have shown that there's real potential with both of them in the team. Mm. 86.6% of fans said that they think that um, the two players can play in the same team together. But I'm going to give an honourable mention to... um, that Garibaldi nerd who did say it's less about those two and more of the insistence on it being on all three of them, including Brennan Johnson. So that maybe does add a different dimension into there. Um, The final question in the poll, where will Nottingham Forest finish in the Premier League this season? Will they finish between 1st and 7th, between 8th and 12th, 13th to 17th, or in the relegation spots? Now, It'll be the least surprising thing if you're a Forest supporter listening to this to discover that 13th to 17th was the runaway winner with 82% of the vote. Just shy of 10% said, "Mm, we're going to go down. 5.6% said, we'll finish top half, 8th to 12th. And uh, there was 2.6% who said, we'll finish 1st to 7th. and as Bruce pointed out, was someone had to vote for that. And I, I suggested, well, maybe maybe Samba's reading our Twitter feed. I don't know. Um, look, guys, would you agree with me? 13th to 17th, it would be the ideal situation. They're all they're all nodding their heads there. Um, but just on that theme, so 
Dan did tweet and say, you know, it'd be interesting to know which three teams people will think will finish up on fewer points than us. And he mentioned the teams that we talked about earlier, Southampton, Everton, uh, you know, Wolves, Bournemouth, all of these teams with managerial changes. Um, we had uh, Robbo who joined in the debate and he said, I thought Southampton, Bournemouth and Everton before a ball was kicked and I've not seen anything to change my mind. So just to reiterate the point that, that um, we were talking about earlier, managerial changes there's no guarantees that they're going to be successful for any of those teams Forest have got a fighting chance partly because the division is very tight this season so we could talk about this for hours but actually now it's time for this 1865 guess that red it is time for guess that red we are going to hear up to five clues from Quizmaster Stephen today, and he's going to ask us to hear some information about a Reds player from the past, and we, as a panel, have to try and work out who it is. So over to you, Quizmaster Stephen. Okay, so your first clue is, born in 1951, I started my career at Southport. Rich. Ian Storymore. Incorrect. You want bloody shooting! Clue number two. Following spells with Wolverhampton Wanderers and Portland Timbers, I joined Forest from Birmingham City. What? Bloody rubbish! Rubbish! Clue number three. I played 11 times for England scoring once and all of my england caps came after i left forest what is crap this is a tough one today stephen you you've got you've gone deep into the past <laughs> any guesses or really struggling okay this a lot this, of puzzled faces here <laughs> this might this one might help you then clue number 4 in my two years at Forest, I won four trophies. Mm. You want bloody shooting? I think I underestimated how difficult these clues would be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So it seems. <laughs> well, I hope I hope you get it from this one, and I think you might. Clue number five: My goal won the European Cup for another Midlands side. Oh, 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 oh. Is it Peter Wynn? It is Peter Wynn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that I, I had no clue until then. I was I was just really trying to think and I was thinking about obviously players who played for us in the glory years, but all the ones I could think about was Scottish. <laughs> so anyway. Right, okay. Thank you very much, Stephen. That was that was surprisingly difficult. It, it it makes a change from the ones which we often have, which is someone from the Frank Clark era or the or the Paul Hart era, maybe. Um, now, very quickly, 
it won't have escaped your attention that the World Cup starts this weekend. And this is where I'm going to ask you, Adam, could you give us a quick rundown of which Forest players are going to the tournament and are there any who have missed out? Yeah, so we have three players going for Wales, Brennan, Johnson, Nico Williams and Wayne Hennessy. Um, we have got Remo Freuler going for Switzerland and Cheka Kiate going for Senegal. Um, I'll, I'll mention the lone players as well, uh, just for they are Forest players. Um, Brian Aguila, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying that right at all, uh, is going for Costa Rica. Um, Ethan Horvath's going for um, America, of course, and Richard Array's going for Canada. Um, probably unlucky to miss out. I mean, I suppose Lingard, in a way, probably feels that he could have got in the England squad based on previous tournaments and maybe a little bit of an uptick in form, but I suppose he maybe not expected it. Um, Moussa Carte probably would have gone with Senegal if he was fit, um, certainly in their squad and in and around their squad. Um, and I, I, I petitioned for Ryan Yates to go with England, but that one wasn't probably as realistic. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a, a roundabout it for the World Cup. Um Gone are the days where we have players like Rafi Jabor hanging around in the squad going to all the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, um, Adam. Yeah, um, actually, I'm just thinking about it. Is um, y- You know who you have missed out? You've missed out uh, South Korea's finest, Hwang Yuzhou. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have. I have. I'll be honest, I... I was I'm monitoring like the squad that's coming out for all of these teams and stuff, and I I did not see South Korea's to be completely <laughs> fair. <laughs> but I think depending upon Sun Hyung Min's um, face facial injury, it, it's possible Huang Yu might actually play some games for South Korea. So so we'll get we'll finally get a chance to find out who the hell is he. So <laughs> there you go. Um, also, it, it's interesting you mentioned you know Jesse Lingard. Um, something that I will say is that we've got two other players who will will probably feel they joined Forest in search of first team football, and it's not quite worked out. Who are England's Dean Henderson and Brazil's Renan Lodi? Um, Baz, have you got any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, well, so I mean, I think um, Dean Henderson's an interesting case. I think it basically for. For all that he's a great keeper, I think there is definitely he's just he's too far down the queue, um, and there's a, probably a few issues with his distribution that that push him that that far down the queue. Um, Ren and Loddy, I think <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's it's taken so long for him to find his feet. So I don't I don't think he was he was going to be in with a chance really. But it's it's a shame because I think there's the makings of a great player there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and and I think in the case of both um, Jesse and Renan Lodi, uh, we've made the case, haven't we, consistently? They're clearly really good players, very talented, but it's just a case of how you adapt to playing in a struggling Premier League team where you're 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 you know just one of many many new players. Um, Adam, right at the beginning of the season, you were waxing lyrical about Henderson, um, but can we agree that he probably is the fourth best keeper in England? Yeah, I think he's certainly the fourth best as well, though. I, I think you take three goalkeepers to a World Cup, only one of them's going to play realistically anyway. Um, I've always loved it that you take two goalkeepers, but there we go. So, no, I never thought that Henderson would get it. Just a very quick point on Ronald Lodi, though. I think he is a bit unlucky based on the fact that Danny Alves has gone to the World Cup. <laughs> Alex Perez, who, I mean, Danny Alves is, what, nearly 40 years old. 
Alex Tayez has gone to the World Cup and he's been bang average um, in Spain. So I, I think Ran Lodi, although he's not been brilliant for Forest, probably is a bit unlucky still to, to miss out. I thought you were going to say that Danny Alves was born in 1951 and <laughs> the spell playing in the US. He's, he's that old, isn't he? Um, and and Stephen, um, just very, very briefly, I think we have to count our blessings because it ge- means that Steve Cooper still got a big chunk of the squad that you can work with and, and play those friendlies um, and, and do the training with to try and to try and gel them together. Um, even if the man who I think is the linchpin, Remo Freuler, is going to be doing his business for, for Switzerland. What do you think? Yeah, and I've said this all along that the World Cup will be crucial for us to bed in the signings, let players get to know each other better and give Steve Cooper more time to work with everyone on the training pitch. And I'm hoping that that will mean our second half of the season is a lot better than our first. And we're in touch. We're we're only a point away from safety now. We've got ourselves into a very decent position considering where we were, where we were just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I'm hoping the World Cup gives Cooper time to work with the players and just get more of his ideas across. Okay, and last but not least, um, I'm going to go around each member of the panel in turn. I just want you to give me a number, a mark out of 10 for Steve Cooper's performance as the Forest Manager since we got promoted. Baz? Eight. Stephen? Eight. Adam? Seven. Okay, Thank you all. Thank you to Jeremy for your sketch, to Callum for his news roundups throughout the season so far. We are taking a break now for the World Cup, but we will be back when the season resumes in December. Until then, listener, please leave us a review, follow us and share us on social media. But thank you for joining us on this roller coaster ride. Now, I'm just going to... That was the cat pulling the microphone off the table. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.